This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Welcome to episode 9 of the Asian Cinema Film Club, the podcast which aims to provide an introduction to all that is great and wonderful about Asian cinema. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones from the Depths DVD Hell, and joining me of course is my co-host Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello there everybody, thank you for having me again. Um, tonight's show we are going to be looking at the hidden gem of sorts uh, with The Man From Nowhere, a... Korean action thriller, which brings to mind the likes of John Wick um, as a quiet pawn shop keeper with a violent past, decides he's going to take on the local drug ring to get back a young child who is probably his only friend. Um, but before we obviously get into our selection for this evening, I mean, we obviously have to ask, what have you been watching? And I mean, Simon, what's been holding your interest since the last episode? Well... Over at Eastern Kicks, it's that time of year where we have to get our top 10 of the year sorted. And there's a complicated, because there's so many writers, there's a complicated mechanism where we have to watch so many films and off the list of, of highly rated movies. And um, I'm very behind, partly because of work, partly because I'm doing this now, and partly because I've got a bit lazy with the writing. So I've had a bit of a catch up and I've caught two other super films. Um, of Pang Ho Chung's love off the cuff which is the third in his love off the trilogy with sean you and miriam young which is a fantastic return to form in a sort of a light throffy hong kong comedy dramedy sort of thing and then i picked up a copy of the villainess which is something i have been waiting to see for a long long time and as tonight might show, I'm not a huge action film guy, but I was blown away. It's um, it's the best Korean film I've seen this year by miles. Um, it's got visual flair. It's got that wonderful mashup of that you usually get in Korean cinema of half an action movie and half a soppy romance. It's got blood, guts, and three astonishing set pieces. And I can see why Arrow picked it up to check it out on. On, on DVD and Blu-ray this year. Yeah, I mean, The Villainess is certainly really high up on my sort of wish list at the moment, you know. Just dropping some hints in case anyone hasn't got me a gift yet for Christmas. Um, but no, I mean, since I saw the, I think one of the set pieces, which was essentially a sword fight on motorcycles, I've been kind of really into wanting to get this one, see this film. So... It's certainly really high up there, I think, along with Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. It's just one of those two films that I really, really want to see. And it's, I don't know, it's that whether it's from the, like, the success of The Raid that we're seeing this sort of film, or whether it's just that the Korean markets now just decide to really sort of make an impact on the action genre. It's really hard to say why this film has suddenly sort of come seemingly out of nowhere, because I can't really think of anything similar to come out of Korea that sort of shot or looks like this film does so i'm kind of uh, glad that it lives up to the hype and obviously what we've seen from the trailer um yeah i mean that 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 um trailer i think it actually released sort of a 
six minute segment didn't they or something like that so yeah. the, the motorcycle well, that's the second set piece the opening set piece i really don't want to spoil it but the opening set piece is is if you remember the um the scene from old boy where he goes down the corridor having the corridor fight double yeah. dragon style well let's turn it into a first person shooter <laughs> and it, and it's done like that but that 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 only half tells the story the camera flies around it just watch it <laughs> it's um it's amazing and what's most exciting about it is actually suddenly Korea has a female action star there've been a few and there's actually the booklet that comes with the DVD with the Blu-ray actually talks about this that Korea have been desperate to get a female action star and there's been some attempts before but they've usually involved female actresses great female actresses who action and physicality isn't their their number one skill and how they chose Kim Ok Bin to be this person but she just she's astonishing so I'm really excited to see if if, if she continues on down this vein it, but it's uh it's a brilliant action movie and it's brilliantly Korean. So, yeah, that might be my number one pick of the year. <laughs> Spoiler alert then for anyone yeah, looking. That, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it'll be number one on Eastern Kicks list. Okay. A long shot. Well, anyone who's regularly listens to this podcast will know a couple of episodes back that I was voicing my general upsetness at uh, the fact that Love Film had closed its doors, uh, no longer doing physical media rentals and obviously this prevents it presented some like a bit of an issue because obviously if you just have the streaming services you are limited by what they choose to show you and at the same time trying to watch things in that sort of window of time which they're available to watch so it was kind of with uh some sort of great joy that i did actually manage to find a new disc rental service uh which is called cinema paradiso now, their whole setup works pretty much exactly the same as Love Film, and you can, you obviously set up your list, and you they send you out the, the disc based on your priority. Obviously, this is nothing new. I mean, it's a rather unfortunate name for a rental company, especially because if you try to search up anything, you're just going to find loads of references to the very popular movie of the same name. But so far, it's been absolutely fantastic. I love the fact as well that it's geared towards foreign and international cinema, which is especially for people like myself and Stephen is absolutely fantastic when you're trying to find like those Hong Kong, Korean, uh, Jap- Japanese titles that just never seem to turn up on Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of the other sort of streaming services. So it's been great in the fact that I might finally get to watch My Wife as a Gangster, for example, or Peace Hotel or Dragon Tiger Gates, these old titles that you have the urge to watch but you either face with paying for a premium disc because you can't find a cheap used copy um, or sort of playing the waiting game for them to eventually show up on the streaming services or perhaps they show up on like late night tv maybe like chat like film forward show it's part of like the foreign block for example but um it's great to have another physical disc rental service and i'm i'm glad that there's a company still out there offering this option because there are a lot of titles, especially if you are into some of those more obscure sort of titles, um, and it can be an absolute pain to get hold of them. So to actually have still a disc rental service really is a bit something very welcome in my life still. So uh, I'm very happy to to be using them at the moment. And uh, obviously, 
being able to finally cross off some of those titles that have been sort of sitting on the wish list for far too long. Uh, yeah, so I um I, I I think I may have been a little dismissive of you last time when you were talking about it. And I kinda of wanted to apologize because actually Love Film was one of my major entry points into Asian cinema before I found out you could order things from abroad. So I I remember getting some of my very first Takashi Mikey films from Love Film. And so I th- I think it does there is a part to play because there's nothing streaming is fine but it still relies on the internet um and not all of us have got smart tvs and things like that and and sometimes you don't want to watch it on your pc or your laptop or or whatever and you want to watch something in 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 a more standalone format i think there's a place for it and i've just had a quick look and i've just looked under hong kong movies alone and um it's got quite a quite an impressive world cinema selection hasn't it yeah i mean there are obviously some titles which are noticeably missing um certainly some of the arrow titles in particular um i wasn't able to get hold of copies of battles route honor and humanity which is a bit of a shame they are missing a couple of the volumes of the female prisoner scorpion series but the fact is that if you're looking to pick up these sets you're looking at paying a premium unless you're like steven and an absolute jammy git who manages to get them cheap somehow. <laughs> eBay, my friend, eBay. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, well, I'm just not even going to go into that <laughs> shout at that mountain, but it's, um, I know a lot of people don't like the format that Love Film use where you've got to obviously have the ranking and because they can never get the titles at the top of the list. But if you keep a tight list, and this is why I'm finding sort of the key thing going into it is that I'm not just putting like those sort of impulse sort of titles on that. I'm trying to keep it as really sort of tight list of essentials and just keep my top 20 in particular as the ascent as like the films I really want to see the most. And so far, you know, touch wood, I've been able to just get this through that have been films I want to see and not something that I put down at like number 138 on the list. So, uh, yeah, so far it's working out well. And, uh, hopefully, as we said before, it's going to help me cross off some of those, uh, some of those titles. So without having to just buy them and then have to find somewhere to store them in the house. And, you know, it just avoids that whole side of things because, you know, there's only so many discs you can store in your house. Yeah. Welcome to my life. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Oh God. No, I shouldn't be watching this live. I'll look at them my own time. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but I just went to Korean movies and I thought, wow. But uh, yeah. On the old anime scene, uh, at the moment, my interest is currently being held by Kill Our Kill, which is currently showing over on Viceland, and you can watch it on Netflix as well. This is a fantastically funny series, and if you can get past the fan service heavy element to the show which it does actually play up for comedic effect, and it is intentional. This is just such a great action series. It's so lighthearted and fun, especially after battling through Tokyo Ghoul and how dark that got in its second series. It's kind of nice to watch something a little lighter, a little more refreshing, as you have this girl seeking revenge um, against the head of this school, and all the enemies she faces are the heads of the different hobby groups. So you've got like the tennis club, you've got the wrestling club, the sumo club, and all their attack styles are based around the sport they represent. And this show gets increasingly bonkers as it goes on. Certainly, 
one of the main bosses in it. She heads up the marching band. So all her attacks are based around using musical sound waves and just blasting uh, pomp and circumstance at, at her. It's just it's just such a fun and enjoyable series. And it reminds me of why I like anime so much, really, just because the fact you can have something so unbelievably random, yet within the context of these worlds they create and the rules that they play by, you're perfectly happy to go along and accept it, no matter how bonkers it gets. But I mean, I'd, I would ask you, Stephen, if you've seen this, but you're not really uh, a big anime guy, are you? So I'm, I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to go and ha- hunt out anime on my own. But sometimes I'm tempted to uh, to spend an afternoon in the in the company of of such things. So yeah. you, ne- you never know. Well, it's, as I say, it's on it's on Netflix now. So if you can like not like tear yourself away from binging whatever Marvel's hawking this week. <laughs> which I think, I mean, we got the new Punisher series coming out, which I've heard good things about in non-Asian cinema. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah. There's, if only it was only Marvel stuff that Netflix are giving me, but um, yeah, absolutely. If I, I give anything a shot, it, these things normally aren't too much of an investment of time just to try it out. Cool. I mean, obviously, if uh, you have got any recommendations of your, yourself or you want to share what's uh, been holding your interest, please do let us know. Uh, we do have the Facebook group, uh, which is open. Just look up Asian Cinema Film Club and you will find us on there. We are on at AC Film Club. We are also on Instagram as well. And uh, if that doesn't work for us, you can always drop us an email, which is uh, acfilmclub at yahoo.com. Um, and, you know, let us know your thoughts. Uh, and we always say uh, love to hear from you. Now... Because we're looking at The Man from Noah, which is something of a hidden gem, because Netflix have sort of thrown it into the middle of their back catalogue and not really drawn too much attention to it. You may see it as it sort of comes past on your just your general selections, but it's not been one of those films they've gone out of the way to really highlight as being there. But it is really, for myself, something of a little hidden gem. So... It got us thinking as to what other hidden gems obviously hiding out there on the various streaming services. Now, when we were conducting this list, uh, some of us had uh, had their list worked out only for Amazon to decide they were going to take them all off the list. So uh, if you come to this and find they are no longer available to stream and they're being charged for it, we do apologize. But, uh, you know, blame Amazon or Netflix or whoever's responsible for those. So. I mean, Stephen, what did you manage to find when you were obviously looking for these sort of secret finds? Okay, well, I'll start off on Netflix. I found three movies. Well, one one I knew was on Netflix and I wanted to to pump, but um, two which I was a bit surprised. So um, the films I'd seen before, but I am very surprised that they're on Netflix UK. So the first one's a Korean film called The Silenced. And which is different to the Korean film called Silenced. So The Silenced is a period uh, mystery thriller sort of film to start with, set in 1930s Japanese-occupied Korea, where a young schoolgirl who's got something like TB or something like that is sent to a sent to an all-girls boarding school. Both, both to sort of a bit hide away from the Japanese imperialism, but also to improve her health. Um, they start getting better. Some mysterious stuff starts happening, and 
it's a beautiful looking film, but then goes batshit crazy in the final act. And if you can predict what's going to happen, you're a better man than me. But it's a it's a really good little film, actually. Um, and I was just surprised to see it there. It's got some great performances from both the young actresses and some of the more established cast. And, and like I say, it, it, it feels more like a Japanese film in the sense that it goes pretty mental at the end. Um, it's genre stuff. It's not super deep, but it, it looks great and it's, uh, it's very entertaining. Um, shall I go from my, shall I go through all yeah, of mine? Yeah, you want to go through this. Me... Okay. The other one on Netflix is, uh, 2012 Hong Kong Chinese romantic comedy called Lacuna starring um who's it starring sean Yu, um who's a fairly popular i can't think i don't know if he's mainland chinese or hong kong but he, he's in a lot of hong kong films um actually he's the star of love of the cuff which is what i was talking about earlier and Ch- chinese actress zhang jing chu and it's a sort of about it happened last night kind of thing these two strangers wake up in a bed together in a shop in the middle of it one morning and they don't know what happened the night before and they basically sort of walk back through their night trying to work out what happened and repair their broken relationships and so on and so forth hugely entertaining and the sort of film i was expecting nobody outside of hong kong would ever see so to find that there it's a, it's, a, it's not a very old film but it's a incredibly unlikely film to be on there and i recommended it highly when i reviewed it a couple of years ago so definitely go for that a little bit different um so this is a this is something uh netflix is one of their own originals is a documentary called joshua teenager versus superpower and it's uh it's a documentary about joshua wong who is the young student who i think he's now been in prison but he's been at the forefront of the sort of the yellow umbrella revolution in the last few years in hong kong protesting against mainland china's sort of slow insidious grip on hong kong's uh independence it's all a bit complicated but it's a very entertaining it's only about an hour long but it's a very entertaining very informative documentary which i suggest you uh you spend a little bit of time with if you've got some a chance and then on amazon again i found a couple of films i was really surprised about um black coal thin ice from a couple of years ago it's a mainland chinese film uh stars guai lan mei who's one of my favorite actresses and lao fan it's a it's like a serial killer film noir art house film (laughs) um, with a very interesting and dark visual style a deep story um happens over a couple of time periods you know it's quite a demanding watch but it's a really solid film and then it's about time i started bringing up stephen chow movies and to find on amazon as well as your kung fu hustles there's also probably my favorite Stephen Chow film Love on Delivery which I can't believe is there which is a bit of a strange 1994 film he did completely wacky nonsensical classic pre Shaolin soccer Stephen Chow really so a good a good place to start to see if you're even going to like it um so they're my five how about you 
You did a lot better than me. Um, as I said, because uh, Amazon decided to screw with mine. Um, obviously, starting with uh, the live-action adaptation of the anime Samurai X uh, with Ronnie Kenshin. Uh, there are three parts to this series, and all three were available for a period on Amazon Prime. But uh, prior to them as recording the show, they decided to take them off this week. So uh, thank you, Amazon, for that. Really fun pop samurai uh, action movies. You can probably find a lot of the action scenes just by looking on YouTube, uh, which if you're a fan of Azumi, you really get a kick out of these movies because it's essentially more of the same. And uh, certainly if you enjoy them, then definitely check out the series Samurai X, which is currently available on Netflix as well. Um, although the third season is kind of a bit sticky. Uh, the first two are still as solid as when they were back when they released. Staying on the Pop Samurai trend, if you scoot over to High Dive, uh, you can now start watching Samurai Punisher, a series which is absolutely infuriating to find any sort of information on because Netflix have decided to release their Punisher series, and uh, that's basically all Google wants to tell you about. But the series itself, it follows this uh, chap called Mondo Nakumi, whose wife and co-workers think he's this incompetent. But at night, he sheds his civil servant disguise and teams up with uh, Tetsu and Joe to as his trio who basically fight crime and corruption. It's a really fun series. As I said, it's currently streaming on High Dive if you have a premium subscription uh, with new episodes released on Fridays. So, uh, yeah, the first two are currently available on there now. And it's uh, definitely one worth checking out. Over on Shudder, the horror streaming service, you can find a film which we actually talked about on our previous episode when we did the horror draft, and that is the movie Death Bell, uh, which is a saw-like thriller uh, as these high-grade students find themselves pitted against a killer who is out to test their intelligence by putting them into traps where, which will obviously kill off various members of the class unless the rest of the class can solve the challenges being set for them. Death Bell, as we mentioned on the previous show, is a really underappreciated gem of a horror film, and one that is definitely worth discovering. So it's kind of surprising that Shudder is the place to find it, but uh, it's definitely one worth checking out. And Shudder as a whole is a site which has got some really great horror films on there, not just in terms of Asian horror, but also in terms of a lot of Italian horror on there um, and retro horror as well, which is just makes you a great service to uh, check out on the trial. Um, plus, if you want, you can always just rewatch Battle Royale for like the hundredth time on there, which is also on there as well. Um, rounding out my picks, uh, we have go back to Amazon Prime, who currently have the vast majority of the Shaw Brothers back catalogue. Um, unfortunately, though, the covers they've decided to go with for a lot of these films makes them look like they're going to be very cheap and throwaway Hong Kong movies. But you have a lot of really great stuff on there. You've got like 36 Chambers of Shaolin, A Diagram Fighter, My uh, My Young Auntie. Um, and you even got some more of the more obscure ones, which are all just worth checking out and just discovering the wide range of films which the Shaw Brothers released. It wasn't just obviously just the Hong Kong Chuck Saki movies, but you also had a lot of interesting dramas, a lot of some horror films in there as well. So it's a catalogue well worth discovering, and it's great to have uh, Amazon Prime obviously offering you 
the option to watch that on there as they seem to really take a drive towards pretty shameless additions to their catalogue and some of the stuff that's been showing up there recently. So, uh, yeah, if you like Shaw Brothers movie, it's kind of the best place to go and uh, a way to avoid paying trader prices for discs, certainly. Yeah, that's my pick. Certainly, Stephen, you did better, it seems, on finding these hidden gems. Um, yeah, well, maybe it's because my eyes went to things I'd seen. But, um, yeah, it's 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 really hard. So certainly world cinema isn't very well served by either the main two. I haven't really delved into I mean, I have done some, some reviews for Eastern Kicks because of things from Shudder, so I was aware of that. So I didn't think about looking there. But there's bits and bobs. But then, then you find something, like I say, like Love and Delivery, which you can't even buy on DVD in the UK. Um, I mean, I when I watched it, it was of some obscure little pirate thing I found somewhere and, and to find it. So I'm actually going to go and rewatch it from, <laughs> through Amazon because uh, it's, it's a, it's a real favorite of mine and one that I, I haven't been able to uh, physically get hold of, but it's, it's slim pickings and you have to keep looking. It's a little frustrating that we're still waiting on a live action streaming service for Asian cinema. Uh, we have plenty of services such as we mentioned already. We've got like High Dive, we've got Crunchyroll, which service the anime side of things. And while High Dive does actually include some of the live action films in their catalogue, it uh, still feels very underrepresented. Um, and it sort of brings it back to the importance of having those physical disc rental service, just because it enables you to see other stuff that other than just what's popular with sort of Western audiences at the moment. So um, I still hold out hope that someone somewhere is going to de- give us a decent one, be it uh, perhaps um, Arrow will add more to their sort of streaming library because at the moment it's a little limited. Um, and it's kind of infuriating the fact that you have to pay on top of your Amazon Prime to add their selection on, but I'm hoping that someone somewhere will uh, hear our cries and uh, set up a decent live live action catalogue uh, for Asian cinema. That's not an illegal stream from China. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, though, we're going to be looking at our feature film this evening, which is The Man From Nowhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great fits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site thatmomentin.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. And we're back. Uh, you, of course, still listening to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm Elwood. I'm Stephen. <laughs> Obviously, tonight we are looking at The Man from Nowhere, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But in the meantime, please do uh, let us know your thoughts on the show. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we are there as the Asian Cinema Film Club. We are on Twitter at at AC Film Club, as well as Instagram as well. Um, we love, obviously, anyone who wants to share their thoughts on films we should be watching or what you think about the show. Uh, we'd love to uh, hear from it, and we've had some really 
nice feedback uh, on the Instagram and, and whatnot. So uh, we do love to obviously hear from you and obviously hopefully craft a show that that helps you obviously discover these aspects of Asian cinema you perhaps didn't discover or just gives you new thoughts on films that you knew already. Certainly coming up next month, we are going to be doing our Kaiju Christmas and we want to hear from you especially to hear your recommendations and to vote on what you feel we should be looking for for the inaugural Kaiju Christmas. So make sure you uh, hit up on those sources and uh, let us know your thoughts. But back to tonight's show. Uh, we are obviously talking about The Man From Nowhere. Now, this was released in 2010 and is directed by Lee Jong-woo. Um, as I said, it's a South Korean action thriller very much in the vein of John Wick, as it features uh, this pawn shop owner called uh, Chaitae Silk, who is basically living his quiet little life. He is happy just keeping to himself, although he has like a friend in this little girl called Sumi, who basically lives next door with her mother, who is also a drug addict and sort of <laughs> hooked up with the local drug and organ donor. Um, organ dealing, organ fettering, um, and when she and her mother get kidnapped, it falls down to Chate Silk to basically get her back. Unfortunately for this ring, they also don't realise the fact that he has also got a past uh, which gives him some very useful skills as we will obviously go into uh as we as we get into this film but i mean this was a rewatch for yourself Stephen. it was a first time watch myself because this is a film which i'd heard constantly mentioned whenever someone was talking about uh john wick in particular john wick 2 they would always say about the man from nowhere uh, as being this amazing comparison piece and the fact it was on netflix and no one ever seemed to talk about it so that's kind of the reason i picked it to finally see what all the fuss was about but I mean as a rewatch how did this one hold up for you Stephen because I know that you weren't the biggest fan of it the first time you watched it so did it play any better the second time you watched it so I'll just start by saying I'm absolutely delighted we're nine shows in and we're finally watching a South Korean film (laughs) I can't I can't believe it's taken us this long and when you suggested Man From Nowhere I thought yeah, I, I quite fancy that because I think I must have watched this back in all, something like 2011. So probably not long after it had come out. And I remember uh, not being particularly blown away by it. And I rem- I just remember one scene in particular, there's one shot that, that I remembered and the rest of it, I just felt it was kind of meh. And I had actually bought it on iTunes in, with, with an idea of um, rewatching it years ago <laughs> i never got around to this this was a perfect opportunity i have to say i think my impressions of it have gone up but i still think it's okay and i can't believe it's got like 100 percent on rotten tomatoes i must be the only person <laughs> in the world that's only mildly impressed by it it's uh yeah i mean it's it's a film which i think i went into it thinking it was going to be a little more sort of action-packed than it was. I think it was a very much a different film that I ended up with uh, than the one, the one that I thought I was going to get. Um, certainly, 
I, I mean, I, now you mentioned it, I mean, I can't believe it's taken us this long to actually look at a South Korean film, especially because South Korea in recent years has been where a lot of the most interesting aspects of Asian cinema have come from when we've had people such like Park Chan-wook coming through the ranks. It's, um, and films such as like Brotherhood, a film which actually bested Save and Private Ryan for my money. Um, we had these amazing films sort of like coming, coming through and, um, I have no idea why it's actually taken us this long to get to, uh, to look at a South Korean film. Um, so I do apologize to any fans of South Korean cinema that it has taken so long, but you know, we finally made it. Um, this film though, I, I liked the way it was, it actually, uh, it actually flows because this is a film where it could easily have just been like action scene, action scene, action scene, but instead, it's actually teased out to really sort of the final quarter when we actually get any sort of real sort of big action scenes. Up until then, we have these really kind of humorous scenes where, where our hero of sorts is basically like cornered by the bad guys. And then it will either cut away at the last second as he goes to react or you have like some outside shots, such as there's a scene where towards the uh, start where he's basically being threatened by these hired goons this drug ring inside his pawn shop and you have this big like sumo sort of style guy who's like six foot and weighs about 300 pounds and he's like stomping out to him and then it suddenly cuts the outside and you see like this guy being thrown through a window essentially and i love that the fact that it builds up so you think oh, i'm gonna see something and then it takes away and it's reminded me a lot of the recent godzilla remake where we have the first confrontation between godzilla and the muto monster and you see him going head on and then it just cuts away to the child watching tv but in this case it's an effect which actually works really well um i mean how did you find the the actual pacing of this film then Stephen? so i think this is what i struggled with <laughs> is that as you say what we get is these sort of cock teases <laughs> like where where we we see the action just about to start and then and then we see the aftermath whilst i got that the first time it's not until the final act we really see what a badass this guy is you know he's got weights where he shaved his hair and had his topless scene in the mirror and stuff like that i mean it <laughs> it's a lot of good looking people and i'll talk about one bin in a minute because um he's an interesting an, an important person in Korean cinema, although his uh, CV is small. But, um, you know, when, when that fi the, the, the final, I don't know, third of the film actually is very exciting. But up to then, I think it is held together by the charm of the lead actor and the fantastic performance by the child actress. And um, apart from that, it's nice looking people in nice suits sort of talking and running around a bit <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what you mean i mean here we obviously have a child actor who's not irritating something of a rarity although it does i don't know about yourselves but it does seem to be getting better in recent years that they're able to have child actors who aren't just irritating um well well, actually, in Korean cinema, there's this awful habit of there are some fantastic, especially female, young, under 10 female actresses um, that just seem to be churned out, <laughs> of which of which um, uh, the, the, the girl here, Kim Se-ron, is, is one of them. Um, 
and 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 it's a, seems to be a very unique you know they're not just sort of like cute looking chubby faced little things you know that's the powerful acting and there's one scene in particular where um she basically says you know she's having a there's been an, an a schism between her and her friend and uh she basically sort of sits there and stands there and says oh you know my mother's sh- crap she told me to go and kill myself and i should i should we should probably all kill ourselves and what you've done's really hurt me and i want to hate you but if i hate you then i i won't have any friends left in the world <laughs> however bad you've been to me but it's really powerfully done and this is from a girl who was like 10 years old at the time so the the her performance is astonishing and actually she goes she, she's gone on to be um a very interesting actress in her own right so she's in um there's a kind of fun sort of thriller movie called Manhole, but more importantly, she was in, um, she starred opposite, uh, Bay Dunar in A Girl at My Door, which won a lot of awards a couple of years ago. So she's, she's quite choosy about her roles, but she is, um, she's probably in the sort of that, that next range of, of superstars that's going to happen. So I think she's fantastic. Yeah, I love the interaction that, that her character and, uh, been one's lead have uh, certainly in the opening sort of scenes where he's providing her some sort of stable sort of home life even though he really doesn't want any sort of interaction with anyone I mean he's largely mute for throughout the film uh, really and I think until, until towards the end and he's there and they're having uh, having dinner and his her mother comes looking for him and the fact he's like trying to cover for the fact that she's there and he's like trying to talk to her for the door and at the same time he's using his foot to try and hide this extra meal that he has on the table um just to try and continue this illusion that he's there by himself so it's kind of charming and it brought back memories of like leon or the professional as it's known in the states so I, de- I definitely think Leon is the is the template for this one. Uh, that, that that that's what this. I think that's probably why I didn't like it. I just thought this is Leon in Korean, <laughs> but that, that that's being awfully unfair to it and probably unfair to Leon as well. Because, I mean, obviously with those sort of scenes, it did bring bring to mind obviously Leon, but the fact that it's such a fleeting sort of interaction that these two characters have, it's not the whole sort of basis of the film um the fact that it's just basically him using his his unique set of skills to track it down yeah a bit like taken exactly (laughs) and that's the uh the other sort of comparison so i mean you can either say it's like taken or you can say it's like john wick the fact that you have these drug dealers who basically think he's just you know this this quiet porn shop owner but he's actually an absolute badass and it's they quickly learn what happened that happens when you screw with the wrong guy as he basically starts dismantling the whole operation. And while they, it starts off with them essentially playing games, setting them up to take out a rival drug ring. Um, interestingly enough, at a golf range, which seems to be a continuously theme within Asian cinema, the fact that Whenever you're looking where the local triads or Yakuza are going to be hanging out, it's always at a golf driving range for some reason. It is. It is a common trope, isn't it? I'd noticed that. It's 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 um lots of bad shit goes down at the at the driving <laughs> range for sure. 
And unquestionably so. And I kind of liked the fact that this this quest that he goes on, he's just like constantly battling his way through these different stages. Like he's at the golf driving range, he's at the nightclub, he's at, at all these sort of very sort of traditional sort of locations to this sort of film. And the fact that all the while you think, oh, now we're going to get the big action scene. Now we're going to get the big action scene. But he really sort of uh, holds off uh, in giving it to we have, like, we're essentially in the bathhouse before we finally get that big payoff and get the style of action that is very reminiscent of the raid in many ways, but it's perhaps not as flamboyant. Um, we do get some very tasty sort of knife fighting, but it, uh, here it's a lot more focused on sort of gunplay um, just how the gunplay in particular is shot is just absolutely, it's so cool to see. The fact that he's very rarely looking the direction he's shooting, he's just firing with this, like, almost psychic ability to hit anyone uh, with shut marksman-style accuracy. It was absolutely astounding. But, I mean, how did you find the action scenes in this film? I mean, obviously... We, at the moment, we have no sort of shortage of decent action in Asian cinema. I mean, with films such as like The Raid um, and sort of Donnie Yen's current mission to revitalize and reinvent the kung fu genre, it would seem. Uh, yeah, um, so this is a completely different sort of thing. This is a more visceral, I'm going to bunny ears realistic. You know, this is normal people punching each other, not necessarily with a super, super martial arts skills, although there is a bit of that. The knife fight, as you say. Um, with the uh, Thai actor who's playing a Vietnamese guy, because that happens in Asian cinema as well, um, is is good. Um, I do remember the one thing, as I was saying it, but the one thing I had remembered from watching the film before was this, an amazing shot where uh, where our lead character sort of jumps through a window and the camera follows him through the window and down, a, I don't know, a story or two onto the ground. I remember being blown away by that the first time. This time when I watched it, it's been and gone in a second and it doesn't it didn't seem to show up as as amazingly for me because the world's moved on. This film, seven years old, action cinema and cinematography. And and again, I'll point to something like the villainess, which takes that and turns that into a seven minute sequence. It, it felt a bit dated, actually. <laughs> yeah, but that being said, I mean, the film still manages some really great some moments of action um obviously we've got the bathhouse sequence we've got the man max inspired sequence where he takes one of these uh these two brothers who are heading up this drug ring and essentially straps a lamp of a kerosene lamp to one end of a uh a, a rope and puts a bag of drugs in the others which are slowly uh leaking out onto the floor so this lamp's gonna like incinerate him and this this Mad Max style situation I had the sort of like uh, creative is just I thought that was so cool to see that particular death scene in particular. Yeah, no, absolutely. Certainly in the in the second half of the film, last third of the film, uh, you know, it, it's it's action packed. There's some really creative stuff going on. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really torn because there's that going on. There's a fantastic dynamic between lead and the and the young girl. Even though you're quite right, the other thing I'd remember I, I had forgotten. They barely spend any time of the film together, do they? I mean, it's 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 a few early scenes really, and after that, they're very apart until the end. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. I just it just didn't hang together for me. Okay. Now, just uh, I'm going to say spoiler alert here. When we have the ending of this film, it seemed very reminiscent to like the Bruce Lee movies in the fact that no deed shall go unpunished. In the fact that he goes on this this epic quest, you know, he he's killing drug dealers left, right, and centre. And at the end, he's arrested by the police, which is far from the sort of traditional Western uh, action hero ending that we expect, where, you know, the good guy John McClane or whatever blows away a few dozen bad guys and, you know, he gets away scot-free at the end, completely free of any sort of judgment. Whereas here, as in was the case of many of the Bruce Lee movies, he ends up getting arrested by the police and carted off. Um I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think I, I don't think he ever really got cleared for being accused of killing the um the mother the the drug addict <laughs> mother of it and that's so I don't know I kind of wanted they they there was talk of a sequel or a prequel and things like that and I, I it just feel it just feels wonderfully Korean to me that um they do like a downer ending don't they um <laughs> they, they, there are plenty of happy endings, of course, but quite often it's it's and maybe it's Asian cinema, not just Korean cinema. But I do quite often feel that karma catches up with people. And whilst you may do one good thing, the 500 bad things you've had to do to get there don't balance out. So maybe there's something something in that. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the the band from nowhere, I mean, it was one of the best selling films in Korea in, two, in 2010. Um, I mean, are you have you seen anything else by uh, director Lee Jong-boom? Because uh, I know he obviously did uh, Tears of the, No Tears of the Dead, which is another film which constantly seems to get mentioned. But um, That's I, pretty much all he's done. He's made three feature-length films in, in this. It is, um, so I was a bit, I was thinking, is IMDb wrong? But no, he's done very little, which is surprising because... Um, Everything he's done has, 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 you know, has been a success. Um, of course, the other thing we have to talk about here is 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 our lead actor, Wong Bin. Um, so to you and me, he's just a ridiculously handsome Korean guy, right? <laughs> Even as straight men, we can see that this guy is phenomenally handsome. Well, yeah. in Korea, I can't express what a big deal this guy is. He is viewed as being the perfect man. In terms of his look, his visual, his his body, his hair, everything like that. He, I, I can't. What if David Beckham could act? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think after seeing the recent King Arthur, we know that David Beckham can't act. Yeah, which is why I put the what if. <laughs> yeah. Um, not only that, he's only been in six films. Yeah, and but the films he has been in include um, Guns and Talks, which was one of the first sort of. Korean films to make it out of uh, as part of the Korean wave. He was in um, Brotherhood, which you, you, you mentioned earlier. He's in The Fantastic Mother. He then went off and did his national service, came back and did this in 2010 and hasn't made a film since. Um, he's married to, uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, oh, crikey. Lena Young. Yeah. Lena Young is thought of by Koreans to be the most beautiful woman and embody <laughs> everything I've just said about Won Bin. That's what they think about her. This is the perfect couple. The, 
and she she hasn't made too many films that recently but she has done some stuff in the past few years the guy all he does now is makes adverts but he is one of the biggest stars in korea and a lot of the things that are in this film that maybe disappointed us of absolute fan service to his um adoring crowds and so lots of people who are into like uh, K, uh k-drama and stuff like that will be aware of Wombin. and you know to see him like i said before all go topless in front of a mirror and cut his hair off this is this is fan service to a different audience than the fan service we might be used to with uh i don't know animated schoolgirl panty shot sort of thing yeah um so he's a he's a huge huge deal who's made very few films but they've nearly all been brilliant uh, and certainly hugely successful and i do believe he's actually just about to make another one after seven years so um we'll probably we'll probably be uh seeing his face again after a seven-year absence yeah it's uh i mean this is an actor i have very little time i mean this is my first experience with him but he's very enjoyable as a leading man which is normally when you've got a pretty boy especially over here uh in like western summer if you've got a pretty boy actor it normally doesn't equate to being a good actor it's just normally what would get buns in seats so no i i think i think he actually does put in a really good performance oh yeah definitely um you know like like you say in the first two thirds of the film he barely says a word every all the emotion so shown you know through his floppy boy boy band hairstyle with his eyes and his mess he's he's got he's got and actually even that that's something you don't often get with asian actors is 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 sort of act is, is non-motive acting um he he can he can he's an extremely talented guy i just wanted a bit more <laughs> i know what you mean it's but at the same time there's so many subtle little sequences such as when he's obviously in the police station and we have the sort of setup to another of those action scenes that we don't get to see. And it's really the first time he speaks for like the longest time in this film. And he just asks for his cuffs to be undone. And you have like that close up of the cuff, just a slightly uncuffing. And then it just cuts to something else. And then obviously we see the surveillance footage and seeing him basically work his way Terminator style for a whole police station. Um, that you realize just what a badass this is. Um, I mean, the film itself is currently in the process. It's somewhere in development hell of having an English language remake through Dimension Films, who announced that they were working on it way back in 2012. So uh, I wouldn't really expect to see it anytime soon. You can, however, see a Indian remake called Rocky Handsome, uh, which was directed by uh, Nisha Kant Kamat, which was released back in 2016. And no doubt will be on Netflix soon, knowing the their taste for Bollywood so I mean I think that does show its testament obviously I have never been a huge fan of it you sound like you think it's okay um but I just looked around it's got universally fantastic reviews um it yeah and I think some of that's down to Wombin and his fan base I think um a lot of it is if you saw it in 2010, I think it would be more spectacular yeah. than it is maybe now. Um, not saying that it's aged badly. I just, I just think that, that the world has moved on a little bit. Um, I'll also pay some respect to, I mentioned him briefly, the Thai actor, Thanayong Wontrakul, who plays kind of his opposite number, doesn't he? This, this, um, 
uh, I don't know, there's this sort of, they, they kind of make out he's a bit of a madman, this Vietnamese guy yeah. that, that that matches him. And I, and, and I, I did like that dynamic, the fact that they were, they were mortal enemies, but there was this trust between them. And they both had a relationship with the girl, which impacted how things uh, turned out. So I like that because some of the other bad guys, the Korean guys, I felt were a bit overacty. <laughs> they were a little comical, aren't they? Um, and, and one of the guys, the yeah, one of the guys is actually a famous um, Korean comedian. So again, it depends a bit what you feel about Korean comedy, which can be a little bit unsubtle. Um, so, so that 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 might take some people out of the film, but yeah, I thought I thought between Won Bin and and Thaniyong Wontrakal, there was something. There was a certain mano a mano frisson between them, which I thought worked quite well. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you hit it right in the head there. I mean, certainly when we look at the performance of Kang Sang Ok, who plays more manical of the two brothers here. It does kind of take you out of it when we're obviously building this tone with one Ben's character, who is very dark and very sort of moody, um, not saying very, very much at all. And he's building this whole sort of persona. And you then have this almost manacle um, drug dealer in uh, his, in Kim Song ols character, Jong Seok. And it kind of made sense of the fact that they removed him as early as they did, and really sort of focused on the other brother, uh, Man Seok, played by Kim Hoo, uh, Kim Hee Woon. Um, because when he obviously got into, when he's on the screen, he's, he's a much more of a serious sort of gangster, more traditional sort of gangster character, and it made sense, especially when we have the setup for that big sort of final action scene, where he's rolling the detached eyes, and we're led as the audience to believe that they belong to this little girl, that he's been pursuing. And I mean, they really play out the fact that it's actually this girl um, is her eyes. You know, she's been scrapped for parts like her mother was earlier in the film. It's, it's a really, it kind of makes you wonder if perhaps they should have cut out the manic brother or like played downplayed him or so, um, at all. Yeah. It's quite dark in places. So there's the bit where the mother, you know, that we find the mother's body and we, there's not, it's uh, sometimes Korean films can be a bit coy about showing nudity and things like that, but we see a full-on naked corpse with with Y incision in it. Um, I was a bit shocked by that actually. I remember what in the first time I saw, it, I thought, oh, that's very that's that's talking to a different audience than the locals. I was surprised when it was such a major hit because it's hitting a few taboos. The one question I will ask though about this crime family, and I think this is another thing which took me out of it. The film starts. And they're drug dealers and it's some super duper strain of heroin or something, isn't it? I can't remember if it's heroin or cocaine. It doesn't really matter. And then suddenly they're into child slavery. And there's a there's a bit, isn't there, where the kids are going around um, Seoul moving drugs and messages around. And then it turns out they're into organ doning or donations, um, uh, ones that people aren't really <laughs> willing willing to and i think hang on a minute these these two can't seem to drive a car how are they running this multi-tethered complicated crime family <laughs> um and i just i just wish they just stuck on one thing or the other um i will say in 2010 and 
the organ donation thing that has you'll find that in a few films it must have had some local resident re- resonance there must have been some stories about these things going on that must have um must have played well with the local audiences because it's like ripped from the headlines but it was i found it very confusing who these people what these people were actually doing yeah, it's, they, they never seem to sort of settle on one business enterprise. I mean, although when we obviously have the mother whose who's, uh, discarded body shows up in the trunk as a way to obviously frame one Ben's character, which seems to have been their big their big goal throughout this. And it's very confusing why they're making go for these different sort of tasks, really, what the actual goal of these two brothers is with... I send him on this like gauntlet of tasks to antagonize a rival drug dealer and whatnot. And I mean, this is uh, should be noted. This is the first film where I've seen someone be tortured with a hairdryer, which uh, I have to give it credit for. And that hurt me to watch that. that that's quite a powerful. I'd never thought about it, but then I thought, yeah, it would burn you, wouldn't it? Um, it didn't dawn on me when I was watching. I was like, really? Someone's threatened by a hairdryer? Uh, they, 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 those, those, that thing heats up, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's quite powerful. So it's it's a very visceral film, isn't it? It's um, it's not quite old boy, but you know, thing things seem to hurt. So even yeah. though one win, of course, is virtually well, he's not invulnerable, is it? He gets he gets hurt quite badly. Um, so it's got a certain you you feel the stakes, but he's not superhuman. Um, He's incredibly talented, but you do think actually he could get shot or stabbed or something like that, which is quite a nice change. Yeah, I mean, he is pretty brutalised by the end of this this film. Um, certainly by the end of the bathhouse sequence in particular, he's he's uh, he's not in pretty good shape. Um, although for some reason he's able to go around bleeding like a stuffed pig and still manage to function pretty well and have like emotional moments and with with the girl when he reunites with her. Um, though I did, I mean, obviously, talking of them them reuniting, I mean, why is there such an importance played on the bloody shopkeeper, who who he ultimately buys the school supplies from? There's like this whole relationship with the shopkeeper that's like really played up, but it it doesn't really go anywhere or mean anything ultimately. No, so it's kind of suggesting that this shopkeeper sees this is the shopkeeper that sees Wombin as the girl's father yeah and i think he knows he's not but there must be more to it there mu- it's almost as if there's like a deleted scene somewhere about the relationship between <laughs> between the shopkeeper and Wombin as if the shopkeeper knows about Wombin's past and sort of saying, hey, look, here's your shot of redemption here. Here's your chance to be a father figure. But it's really weird because it doesn't really, as you say, never really comes to anything other than uh, sort of just just underline something which was fairly bloody obvious anyway. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a, a random one there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, is there anything else in this one you wanted to talk about at all? Not particularly. It's just it's just strange that the the main actor and the main this was this film was a huge hit. And this film, you will find this film on on DVD and HMV. You'll find this film on Amazon. You'll find this film on Netflix. You'll find this film in iTunes. This is this is an international hit. Yeah, a pan a Korean hit, a pan Asian hit, a worldwide 
available film. The director's made one other film in seven years. The lead actor hasn't made a film. The child actress has made a few, but, you know, to be fair, she's only like 17 now. So, you know, <laughs> give, give her a chance. Uh, it's just it's just amazing. Something. Can you imagine something this successful in the West wouldn't have spawned huge success for the for the creators? the equivalents you know this is this guy and this director now he's inspired by things like die hard and the born movies and things like that you know to, to, to think that he's only made one film since is really strange yeah there is um you would have thought as i said you would have thought that he would have made more but then again there are directors out there who sort of are making phenomenal films but putting the, like a seven year gap between them um, but uh, as I said I don't know what it is about about uh, about him that obviously makes him obviously um, want to like constantly put this layer I mean obviously he did No Tears for the Dead um, as sort of like his most recent uh, film but yeah there's there's certainly nothing sort of showing in the immediate future there no it's very very strange and i think that, that again it's almost i guess you think well I've, I've i've done the biggest film of my career two films in what, what, where do i go from here cool. um for the viewing i mean what do you want to obviously pair this one with um gosh uh i am going to go for what I think is a superior film. Um, it's another Korean film. Um, similar sort of idea. Um, I'm just trying to find out what the director is. So it's called The Chaser. And it's actually by the same director as The Wailing. And I'm just killing some time while I try and remember how to say his name. <laughs> so it's the first film by... Um, Na Hong Jin. Okay. Um, it's a thriller. It's a guy who's a bit of a nasty piece of work um, who gets involved in a similar sort of adventure through the back streets of, I think it's Seoul. Um, but it's a really, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. It's an action. It's dirty. Um, it's got the the bad side of of Korean crime, but it's I like it because the guy is a he's not our hero is not a good guy. <laughs> our, our hero just isn't as bad as the rest of them. Um, but it's very entertaining. Um, and for me, it's a much more complete film than um, The Man from Nowhere. Okay. Um, well, my original thought was obviously to go with something like The Killer. Um, I've actually decided to go for something a little more sort of uh, a little more sort of throwaway, and that is Ringo Lam's 1999. Uh, Ringo, sorry, start over again. Uh, I'm going to go for Ringo Lam's 1992 uh, Hong Kong action film Full Contact. This is a Charyon Fat movie, and it sees him playing this gangster-style character who is basically trying to get his friend Jeff. Uh, so he's trying to get his friend out of debt to this loan shark and ends up teaming up with this villain, this guy played by Simon Yam called Judge. Um, and they're 
looking to pull out this weapons heist only for him to be obviously be double crossed and sending Jeff played here played by Red Chang Fat on this path of revenge in typical Ringo Lamb style. This isn't probably the best Ringo Lamb movie, but it is an enjoyable throwaway piece of Hong Kong action cinema. Um, especially as you obviously have the like so Simon Yam and Chow Yun Fat in the same film, it makes it quite enjoyable. Um, in particular, seeing Chow Yun Fat's amazing training montage that he has, where he's at one point swimming upstream in the Bangkok River, which is pretty cool to watch. Um, but there's some fun gunplay. There's the usual fire antics that we come to expect from Ringo Lam. Um, but it's uh, one definitely worth uh, checking out if you want to throw away Hong Kong action film. I've never seen it, so I'm going to, um, I'll be checking that one out myself. Yes, and I still need to watch The Chasers. We've covered on like many times when we talk about Cinema Shame, so. Yeah, no. Yes, well, we must, must both do the right thing. Um, next episode, we, is obviously December, which means it's Christmas, and we are going to be kicking off our inaugural Kaiju Christmas. And we are looking to you, our wonderful listeners, to decide which kaiju movie we are going to watch. Um, so if you want to obviously take part and send suggestions, please head over to the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. Um, let us know which kaiju movie you think we should be covering for our first kaiju Christmas. Um, we like Godzilla, we got uh, Gamera, we got uh, Rodon, Mothra, there is an absolute extensive catalogue of kaiju monsters out there for you to choose from. Are you going to be kind and give us something really sort of art house and like highbrow, such as like the original Godzilla? Or perhaps you're going to give us like something really trashy, um, such as anything basically from the camera catalogue? Um, the choice is really going to be up to you. We're going to create a short list and then put it up for a vote. Um, and but uh, the winner will obviously be the December film of choice uh, for us. So uh, please do let us know, and uh, we look forward to obviously seeing what uh, you, the listeners, choose to subject us to. I guess um, <laughs> I don't know. It's always a bit of a concern when you put anything out to the audience, what way they're going to take it. So. Well, I'm sure our audience will put us through the, whatever we deserve. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, um, this is wraps up uh, this episode of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Stephen, if people want to come and pass you on the internet, where is the best place to come and find you? Oh, right. So you can come to my blog at guelloramblings.wordpress.com. You can also find my writings, including interviews with directors and some features, as well as some reviews at easternkicks.com. Cool. Um, as always, so you can you uh, can find our full archive of episodes on our website, which is now all up and running. Uh, if you wish to find more of myself, it is from the depths of hell.blogspot.co.uk. I am also on thatmomentin.com, where you are a proud partner of this show, and where you can also find a full archive of episodes for this show as well. Um, currently on there, I'm still doing the Game Reviews of Game War, as well as the Movie Tourist, uh, which most recently looked at the X-Files Fight the Future, where we 
took a look at the importance of the federal building in that film. Um, but until uh, next time, I'd like to uh, thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do leave us some uh, comments or rate the show on iTunes or Podomatic or thatmomentin.com, wherever you happen to be listening to the show. Let us know your thoughts um, and leave us a nice rating. It is all appreciated. Um, I'd like to obviously say thank you to my co-host, Stephen. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. And uh, until next time, good night.